This morning we continue our new series, this series in which we've been looking throughout Lent called The Temptations of Jesus. And uh, we started it last week by beginning to look at how Jesus is tempted by his hunger. He's in the desert for 40 days, he's growing hungry, and Satan begins to tempt him in his mind with, hey man, if you are so hungry, why don't you prove that you are God, affirm that you are God, and take that stone and turn it into bread and eat. I mean, if you're hungry, eat. <coughs> we see Jesus is able to overcome that temptation. He doesn't need the devil's affirmation. He doesn't need to be affirmed by his father any more than he already has. (coughs) Too much talking this morning. Throughout the history of church, we have looked at this story each year during the Lent season. Many followers of Jesus and various church traditions have used these 40 days in between Ash Wednesday and Holy Saturday to symbolically remember and reflect on the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert, in which he experienced and he endured the temptation of Satan and prepared for his earthly ministry. For us, our Lent series is really this journey of wrestling with the three temptations that Jesus faced so that we can learn to face our struggles with unhealthy appetites affirmations, and ambitions. I think if we'd be honest with ourselves and each other, we can admit that some of our biggest struggles in life, some of our biggest areas of brokenness, are really around these three areas. Appetites, affirmations, and appetites. And currently, we know, I mean, certainly we know that there are healthy appetites. There are healthy times to affirm people and to be affirmed. And there are healthy times to have ambition. However, more than not, we struggle with these three areas in our life, in unhealthy, unbalanced, and unchecked ways. Now, we might say our appetites are those things that we desirably hunger for or crave, and our affirmations are those things that we need from others. Our ambitions are what agenda motivates us. Interestingly, these are the three things that we see Jesus tempted with in the desert. These struggles, alliterated by author Mike Breen, are also our biggest struggles. And none of us, including me, have mastered them. None of us have. We all continue to struggle with these in new ways, in different ways. For that reason, it's important that we talk about them again and again and again and again until we become better disciples and disciplers in this area. Now, in Lent, remember that Jesus entered the desert to endure the temptations of the devil, to encounter the Father's presence, to experience the human condition, <coughs> and to be equipped for his ministry and excel with authority over the devil. <coughs> I'd like to excel over this right now. and encourage us with a way of living victoriously. Lent is also a time to celebrate that Jesus willingly and intentionally entered the desert. A desert is not something most of us willingly enter. It's not a place we really like to go to. Our mind equates it to loneliness, hardships, and times in which God feels absent. 
However, Jesus willingly enters 40 days into a dry desert. He entered, he endured, he encountered, he experienced, he excelled, and he encourages us to do the same where we struggle with unhealthy, unbalanced, and unchecked ambitions, appetites, and need for affirmations. Now, Christian traditions like Lent season can help us develop regular and consistent rhythms of life that remind us to acknowledge God's hand on our lives and to align ourselves to it. However, if we're not careful, and if we legalistically uh, kind of put these rhythms of life in play, Lent can also become a meaningless event, a meaningless time that is legalistic and obligated. Now the danger is that because we know it can become legalistic and obligated, that we'll throw the baby out with the bathwater and do nothing special for the Lent season. Now last week I encouraged us to be a little more intentional about not missing something God might want to do with us during this Lent season. And so I invited you to develop a rhythm of life. Some sort of practice that you're going to do over the next three weeks of this Lent series and reflecting on these six R's. Remembering that Jesus also Reflecting on Jesus' journey and dependence on God. Repenting from where the three A's have interfered in our lives. Resting in the Father's presence and words. Realigning ourselves to where we see the Lord leading us and preparing our hearts with readiness for what God is doing. Now, I really do care for how this is going for you. I asked you to not only write a rhythm of life, but also share it with two other people so that you're more likely to actually stick to a rhythm. If you haven't done it yet, there is grace, but I encourage you to develop this rhythm of life and to try to stick to it. As I said last week, we talked about appetites. And this morning, we are going to, need, we're going to talk about our need for others' affirmations. Now, does anybody in here ever struggle with needing to be affirmed by others? Right? We should all have our hands up. Most of us have some type of struggle with affirmations. and We all want to be affirmed by people in some way. Our friends, our family our spouses, our church, our boss. We want to be valued. We want to be valued with attention. And we want to feel important. And often, thank you, often this kind of affirmation that we get or can give is actually one of the most powerful things that we can do as a church. As followers of Jesus, we can begin to affirm and call out the giftings in each other and in others and encourage them in our midst and help them overcome self-doubt and insecurities. So affirmation in itself is not a sin, and it is not wrong. However, when our personal need to be affirmed takes center stage, something is wrong. When our need to be affirmed by others takes center stage, it is definitely wrong. Affirmation is a sin when we begin to change who we are to get something from somebody else. Affirmation is a sin when we begin to change who we are to get something from somebody else. It's been said that we live in a selfie culture. We live in a culture that puts pictures of ourselves, our friends and our family, and our food on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. And we do that for likes. We do that for thumbs up. We do it for flattering comments like, oh, you're so pretty. Or comments like, Honey, do you even age? You look like you're still in high school. 
Posting those things isn't the sin. And those comments aren't the sin. But when we need others' affirmations and those needs begin to change the way that we uh, pose in our selfies, the way we choose to post certain things and not other things, and based on what information we give in a status to portray a perfect image, that is when needing other people's affirmation becomes wrong. You don't need to have social media to struggle with the need of affirmation. So if you don't have social media, don't resign yourself from unplugging yet. Most of us like to dress in a certain way to portray a certain image to warrant certain affirmations from others. Some of us want to portray a characteristic about ourselves in a way that we dress so that others actually believe it about us. We've all heard things like, Hey, we can tell Johnny is so accomplished because of the way he dresses. I mean, there's no way he would not dress like that if he wasn't accomplished. These things fuel us with good feelings, but those things can also become addicting, yes? When someone makes us feel good, does it become addicting? Yes, it does, and very much. And others of us want to portray a perfect family image. I hope that's not your idea of a perfect family image. That dog has not weathered so well with his smile. There is no way that we will ever reach this, but we want to betray this perfect family image. Susie, march back upstairs and put on something else. There's no way you can go to church looking so unredeemed. What are we worried about? Why do we worry about these things? Because we are worried that we might not get the affirmations of others, but rather their judgments. All right, kids, we've just fought all morning, but when we get to church, you need to smile and be on your best behavior. Why? Because we're worried that someone's going to actually think less of us if we don't do or act a certain way so that we can receive their positive affirmations. We live in a culture where people's affirmation and attention, the need for people's affirmations and attention, is not only ingrained in our social media and our families, but also in our American culture and values. Since the late 1990s, we have been subject to reality television shows that captivate and capture our minds and affirmations. They have modeled for us a culture that believes we should strive for the votes, the affirmations of others. We're in love with our celebrities, our magazines, our barbershop conversations, our news media sources, <coughs> and our Facebook feeds are full of celebrity gossip and talk. Musicians, movie stars, reality TV contestants, and more. I mean, one of the most debated things on Facebook in the past week was how The Bachelor ended. I've never seen that show, but it was the most popular thing like talked about on Facebook. We live in a culture where not one TV star has made it to presidency, but two, and a third one is staking her claim on the journey already. However, it's also a reality. It's not only present in our world, in our church. We have celebrity pastors, best-selling authors, worship musicians. And if you don't believe me, just walk into Lifeway. Max Lucado and Beth Moore have their own aisles. C.S. Lewis doesn't even have his own aisle. Church historians from the time of Jesus don't have more than one little space. But we have celebrity pastors that have whole aisles that stretch for 15 feet or more. Now, it's not wrong to be a celebrity. I'm not picking on celebrityism. 
However, if we are affirming others above everyone else, there's something wrong. Or if we are pretending to be something we are not to be able to get that kind of celebrityism affirmation, then it is most certainly a sin. This morning we're going to look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11 again. But before we get there, I want to look at this passage of Jesus' affirmation from the Father. And it's kind of the background to where we're going to lead in this morning. Before Jesus goes into the desert experience, he walks up to John the Baptist. He asks John the Baptist to baptize him, to fulfill what has been said needs to happen. Jesus becomes baptized. God the Father begins to speak his loving and authoritative affirmation over him. Listen to that affirmation from Matthew 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. Now, what an image, what an experience. Heaven itself opened up, God's voice booms, and his spirit manifests. And what happens is Jesus is affirmed as somebody who God was pleased with. How many people would like that kind of affirmation for themselves? Yeah, right? We all would. What an image. It's right after this that the powerful experience Matthew tells us here that Jesus was then led into the desert. Then meaning consequently right after. It was right after that. After he hears this, bam, Jesus enters the desert. So at the start of his ministry, Jesus doesn't look for fame, crowds, and public affirmations. He doesn't sign a book deal. He doesn't launch a conference. He doesn't launch a tent revival. He doesn't post a selfie and write, doing the Father's work, hashtag blessed. Right? Can, can you guys just, by the way, I'm so tired of the hashtag thing. So if you're going to post something, don't use hashtag blessed. He was not trying to look a certain way. He doesn't try to act a certain way. However, Jesus enters the desert knowing that the Father's information, this thing he just heard, is all that he needs. So Jesus is summoned to the desert. He's sustained by his Father's affirmation. And his identity is supplied by the presence of God's Spirit and only the affirmation of his Father. This morning we'll see that dependency Jesus has in his Father's affirmation is the very thing that Satan is going to try to attack, try to get Jesus to doubt, try to get Jesus to prove in this passage. Satan often gets us to doubt our identity and feel this need to prove ourselves or to uh, prove who we are through the affirmations of others. And we then begin to struggle with others' affirmations on, on healthy, on balanced, and unchecked ways. This morning, I invite you to follow along once again with Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40, 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, 
For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not even strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord the God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And all of this I give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now in this passage, see Jesus get tempted by Satan in a new way. Satan has upped his pressure since this temptation around appetite. It's interesting that the other gospels actually record these temptations in a different way, in a different order, and they do so to kind of make a point as to what they see as important, but seemingly Matthew is telling them in chronological order. Last week we saw a word for Satan that didn't hint at a, at a being as much as somebody who tempts disciplines, and this morning we are going to see a completely different word, a word we are more familiar with for Satan, a word known as diablos. Now this word highlights this character as three things. A false accuser, a devil, and a slander. This is very much the nature in which we see Satan acting in in this passage. A devil at the time was something that was an adversary to another way. Stop. I never understood how they became deviled eggs, but that's a whole other topic, right? Satan, a fallen angel, despite his beauty, despite his authority, left God's side alone because he struggles with needing one thing affirmations from others he struggles needing not giving affirmation his selfish fall from grace made him a permanent adversary to god's plan satan is also a slanderer now we tend to think of a slander as someone who just kind of talks smack on us all the time but really a slander is defined this way in the dictionary the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another person's reputation. A slanderer loves to find ways, desires to find a way to damage reputation or identity. Now, there are many ways a person's identity can be ruined. But the two major ways are this. You could spread a narrative, whether it be true or false, about somebody in a negative light that begins to turn everything against them. Or you can get somebody to believe doubts about their own identity. And it is that which Satan does in this passage. And Satan is notoriously famous for getting people to question their own worth and identity. In this passage, the first thing that we see Satan do is tempt Jesus with distraction. In this story, Satan takes Jesus high on a temple. He's overlooking city and some historians have guessed that the highest part in the city would have been the temple which kind of sat on this drop-off which sat 450 feet high over the Kindred Valley. So Jesus and Satan are way up there and they're overlooking this beautiful city and all of a sudden just think with me Jesus is in the desert this dry ugly place he's whooshed away from the loneliness of the desert and onto a ledge overlooking the beauty of a holy city. Now Jesus entered the desert 
at the summoning of the Holy Spirit to be sustained and supplied by it, how Satan pulls him out of that and puts him in what will soon be his mission field. Jesus is overlooking what will soon be the thing the Father has for him. Why? Because Satan is trying to break his concentration and get Jesus distracted by what will be before God has ordained it to be. Satan is trying to break his concentration. He's trying to distract him with the beauty, the mission field, and the need to be affirmed as the Messiah. He's dangling something Jesus loves in front of him. Satan knows that if he can distract him, he can distort his identity. In this second temptation, Satan once again leads off with this kind of questioning line. If you are the Son of God, if you're really him, if you've really been affirmed, prove it. I mean, if, if that's who you say you are, let, let me affirm it as well. Satan wedges his way into distract concentration on God's affirmation with distraction. Now, after trying to distract Jesus, Satan then tries to dare Jesus to demonstrate his father's affirmation. As they stand high above the city, Satan begins the quote from a well-known passage in Psalm 91. And in that psalm, David is reminding Israel, God's people, how much he will care for them because of his loving affirmation for them. So Satan, this misrepresenter of the, of the gospel, tries to dare Jesus to demonstrate his father's affirmation with power. If Jesus would go to prove or demonstrate his father's affirmation, he would have actually undermined his father's reality with nothing but selfish vanity. If Jesus would go on to prove himself that he is acting in his father's affirmation, all of a sudden then he would step out of his father's affirmation and he would be acting in a way that's trying to either gain Satan's affirmation of who he is or the holy people in which he are lo he's looking at by trying to prove his affirmation by earning others. He puts himself at the center. Now what Jesus realizes is that the affirmation he receives from his father is more important than any other affirmation he will receive elsewhere. That isn't something he has to demonstrate. It isn't something he has to do, prove. It's just something he has to live into. Now however, despite the distraction, despite the dare to demonstrate, Jesus refuses to doubt or deviate from his father's affirmation. Satan was surely trying to get Jesus to test his father affirmation in two ways. Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt his father's protection by inappropriately getting God's hand to be manipulated in a way that would put his rescue to the test. Satan is trying to willingly get the Messiah to put himself in harm's way for no reason other than the affirmation of others. Secondly, if Jesus would then cast himself off the temple, think how amazing an angelic display would be. It would obviously, I mean, all those people looking at it would gain their attention, it would gain their attraction, and all of a sudden he would gain a messianic following, but it would not have been at the plan and the path that God had ordained and laid out for him to do that. Really, Satan is trying to plant doubts in the mind of Jesus. Does the Father really love you? Would he really send help to you? Is his affirmation really enough for you? Are you sure you heard him correctly? 
Does God really know the best way to win over his people? Jesus realizes that the Father has declared his identity, his affirmation, and the nature of their relationship at his baptism. And Jesus needs no further proof or confirmation. He will not deviate from that. Now let's face it, most of us struggle with wanting others' affirmations in our own life. At some point, all of us need it. All of us want it. However, the need for others' affirmations is one of those things that life and Satan will exploit as a way of getting us to undermine our trust in the Father's affirmation on our lives. Looking to others for their affirmation will do nothing but distract us. Looking for others' affirmation will distort our identities. When God's affirmation isn't enough for us, life will dare us to demonstrate our worth in other ways. Looking to others for affirmation will cause us to actually doubt and deviate from God's plan and affirmation. Nobody, listen to this, nobody needs to affirm you. Yes, we all want it. Nobody needs to affirm you if you have a healthy dependency on the Father's affirmation. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Now think with me for a minute on your own need for affirmation. More than likely, you need it when you are in the desert. When you're in a place that you're lonely, you feel God's absence, or you feel hardship. When we have a void of the Father's affirmation, we end up getting mad at other people for not affirming us enough. Or we sell our soul in finding ways to be affirmed by others. We become attention seekers, critical spirits for others not affirming us enough, or we become codependent on what somebody can give us. Author Michael Breen puts Satan's temptation in these words. Throw yourself from the highest point of the temple or demonstrate God's affirmation of you as his angels catch you on your way towards the ground. Folks, when we understand God's affirmation of us, We don't have to demonstrate it. We don't have to prove it. We only have to live into it. Author Ben Sturkey goes on, This is the desire for affirmation, the desire to look good, wanting to see that which is pleasing and wanting to be pleasing. This is what John calls the lust of the eyes. And he goes on to say, The Pharisees who did all the right things, but for the whole purpose of being seen. They wanted to have a reputation of righteousness without any desire to actually be righteous. They wanted to look the part. They wanted others to affirm that character in them, but they never heard it from the Father. This part of the temptations of Jesus begs us to ask two questions of ourselves. What desert are you in right now? And how is it causing you to doubt the affirmation of the Father? What desert are you in? What are you struggling with? How are you doubting the Father's affirmation of you? And where are you distracted by the Father's affirmation by needing the affirmations of others? Where are you saying, I'm not affirmed enough in this area, and realize that that is not actually somewhere you need to be affirmed. It's only a void in which you have not experienced the Father's affirmation in. This morning, I think God wants us to remind many of us of his affirmation of us. We can easily remember his affirmation of Jesus. This is my son. For whom I am well pleased. However, it seems harder for us to remind ourselves what affirming things God says about us. And the other thing that I think we struggle to do is actually ask God for an experience like he had with God at the hands of John the Baptist. When was the last time we've studied the Bible and said, 
who is it that the Lord says I am? When is the last time you said, Lord, I want an experience like the Father gave you after your baptism? Folks, this morning, Satan is longing to exploit your need for affirmation from others. We could spend the next 40 days reading as many things Jesus said to his followers and what he affirmed in them. In fact, he affirmed a bunch of guys that no one else in their right mind would have affirmed. And in John 15, he tells them this, and I want to leave this to you as a challenge. He affirms his followers in this way. I have told you these things for a purpose, that my joy may be your joy, and your joy may be wholly mature. This is my command, love one another in the way I've loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you, and I am no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've led you on something that I have heard from the Father. That passage, the Father's affirmation moves us to friends of God. The Father's affirmation keeps us near the heart and plan of the Father. The Father's affirmation matures us with joy and the father's affirmation then becomes what we willingly speak to each other in community and it is the father's affirmation only that can sustain us in the desert this week i challenge you to take some time exploring the scriptures who does the lord really say i am who is it lord that you say i am you know there's a time where peter comes to jesus and tells him Hey, people are saying this about you. People are saying that. And Jesus doesn't care about the affirmations of others. He only cares about his father's affirmations even there and Peter's. He says, Peter, that's great. I don't really care. Who do you say I am? Because what he's saying in that passage is, you only need my affirmation and I only need yours. None of that other stuff matters. Now, as the worship team comes forward, my second challenge to you out of this passage is this. Invite the Holy Spirit to give you counter like this. In fact, during the remaining of this, I'm going to sit up front here. And if you feel that you need prayer, that you feel that you need the Father's affirmation to pour out on you in this kind of experience, I would invite you forward to receive prayer. I would be glad to uh, just pray over you, share any prophetic words that come to my mind. And I am going to tell you that when you hear God's voice in those areas, it sticks with you forever. And people may look at you and say, hey, he looks kind of like an oak wood, as Nevin was talking about earlier. He looks a little brass, but really you are just living into what you know yourself to be because you've received the Father's affirmation. I invite you to think about that as we stand and close out in this song. I invite you to stand.